From the high desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com backslash STVR. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Hi, I'm Robert Seidman, and joining me on the High Desert Hotline for the second time is the New York Times' Kevin Draper. Kevin, welcome back to the world's fastest-growing sports media podcast with that sports TV radio. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Are you still the fastest growing, or have you uh, started to plateau a little bit here? Uh, yeah, well, you asked me that last time, and hadn't gotten any better since then either. So, <laughs> so here's what I'll say. You, you know, I've also started a, a little newsletter. Uh, you know, the the internet is very humbling, very humbling. So uh, it's very hard to uh, to grow something in 2017 if you don't have any marketing muscle behind you and you are not a shameless self promoter. And I, I don't have the uh, the shameless self-promoter genetics, maybe, uh, maybe in my lifetime, you know, I'll be able to get an injection and fix that. But, uh, but for now I'd say plateauing. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll try to, we'll try to bump that right back up here. <laughs> All right. So, uh, well, I'm talking to you on a good day, uh, or a bad day, depending on your point of view, because you know, before we start taping this podcast, the, uh, the Obama era net neutrality has been repealed. And I know that has a lot of people up in arms, but the day started off with the, uh, the ESPN and Fo- excuse me, the Disney and Fox uh, deal getting announced. And the, uh, the really big news as far as the uh, ESPN side of it is that, uh, you know, sometime I think it was last week, maybe the week before it, it you know, came to light that uh, that the uh, the Fox Sports regional sports networks were now a part of the deal and would go to Disney. And that did, in fact, happen. So we are now in a sort of a brave new world. Uh, you know, just quickly, what are your thoughts on the deal? I mean, it's it's fascinating for one. And I would love, you know, I will listen to anything Disney and ESPN uh, says about, about why they made that deal. But I think kind of the, the basic analysis or the easy first level is that it seems like most of these big media companies kind of agree that the answer is either enormous scale or getting out of the game entirely. So that's why we see Time Warner and CNN, you know, getting together for this huge agreement. It seems like Fox has decided we're just going to get out of the RSN business. We made a lot of money on it. We'll sell, make some more money. It was a good business for us. We're gone. Whereas ESPN, you know, they're locked into rights contracts for, for decades. And so they're in the, the, the sports business for the foreseeable future. So they've decided, okay, we are now going to, you know, own 50% of all sports rights in this country. I don't know what the number is, but some huge number like that. We are going to be as big as of a bully as we possibly can. Yep. Yep. That's, uh, that's how it looks to me too. And, uh, and, uh, I think, I don't know about the bullying part, but, uh, it, it certainly, I think is going to give them leverage. Um, you know, uh, heading into, uh, maybe like two days ago, I was seeing a lot of stuff that, uh, as far as regulatory scrutiny, you know, it was likely that the, uh, that the RSN piece was going to get the most attention, um, but just kind of reading the tea leaves today, it seems to be there seems to be a consensus that people think this this is going to get done. Uh, do you have any uh, any thoughts on that? I mean, I don't have too many just because I'm not an expert kind of on that on that part of the process. I've heard the same things and it does it does seem that way. And it seems like that's part of the reason that FS1 and FS2 were possibly not included in the deal, because. Right if you think of them as these kind of analogous national networks to ESPN, ESPN2, and all theirs, then you 
get much closer into monopoly territory, whereas the RSNs, yeah, the, you know, Disney's going to own a lot of them, but NBC Comcast still owns a ton of them. Uh, I think AT&T has a few of them. There's a couple other separate ones, and so it doesn't, doesn't attract as much scrutiny. Right. Yeah, I wonder if, uh, if there was no Fox broadcast and uh, there was only FS1 and FS2. I wonder if it if if they would have tried to 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 figure out how to give those to ESPN anyway. Because I mean, a part of it's interesting. Um, it would have been really hard, whatever whatever Fox did, to to break apart uh, Fox and FS1 and FS2 because of the, you know their rights landscape, uh, particularly with uh, with baseball and uh, college basketball. Um, you know, it's, it's based on them having both, you know, both the broadcast and the cable outlets. And if the, uh, you know, if either of them went away, they, 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 you know, they probably couldn't, uh, couldn't conform to the, uh, to the terms of the contract. Right. Exactly. Yeah. They, they do those deals saying, Hey, you know, major league baseball, we're going to put a bunch of regular season games and some playoff games on FS1. But then when it gets to the world series or the really big ones, they'll be on big Fox, which has the reach that you're looking for. And this is a deal that, you know, works for both of us. But yeah, if you get rid of the FS1 or FS2 component, you don't have a place to stash all of the hundreds of games that you have bought rights to. They can't go on big Fox as big Fox has to put tons of other programming on. Yeah. So I had, uh, I had been thinking that the, uh, you know, the Fox, the, the the stuff that Fox was keeping um, was was just basically you know sell the highest va- highest value assets other than Fox News right now um, in a way that we can get this done and uh, you know kick the can down the road on the other stuff and and I still wonder if if that's really what's going on but you know I, I start thinking about just from a sports perspective what might what might Fox do now. Uh, if it's, you know, if it's just Fox and FS1 and FS2 and particularly with the, uh, you know, the broadcast TV landscape on, on Fox is, is pretty dreary. So I, I, you know, I, I can see a world where, uh, you know, that sticks around and someone says, well, you know what, our, our scripted content hadn't been doing stuff, hadn't been doing any good, even when we still had the studio. Why don't we forget about scripted programming and just try to go after more sports? Is that crazy or, or, or do you think that's possible? I I do think it's crazy. I okay, think fair that, enough. Uh, that that they rely on on that scripted programming, and that they kind of rely on just like CBS and ABC and NBC on when you're a big network like that, you are going after the broadest possible audience. And I think to attract the broadest possible audience, that's why they have big event sports, they have news shows, they have you know uh, late night shows, they right. have scripted comedy, scripted dramas, so that so that they can be something to everybody. And I think going in that specialized direction is something probably left better for cable, which is what they've tried with FS1 and FS2 to mixed success. So, Kevin, if you can, if you can break out your crystal ball, uh, I am an AT&T Uverse subscriber in Texas, and uh, I get all pretty much all of the... Uh, the Fox Sports regional networks for the for the Southwest, you know, Texas, Oklahoma, where, wherever wherever they are, Arizona, uh, I am getting them, and so you know, I I get the Spurs, the Astros, the Rangers, all all of that stuff, uh, and uh, my sense is I, I don't you know other than branding and and uh, you know maybe some on air personalities. I don't see my access to any of that programming changing uh, as a consumer even a little bit. Uh, but, but, but am I wrong about that, and will it change? I don't think it'll change 
in the near to medium future. I mean, the agreements that, you know, every there's we're talking about agreements with dozens of different NBA, NHL uh, and MLB teams, and they all expire at different times. And so it's hard to say, you know, kind of with any certainty across them. But generally, I think, you know, they have these contracts, they have to be honored. And so that's not going to blow up anytime soon. And so I think the kind of immediate changes you might see is, um, you know, those networks, they make all of their money between the hours of 7 p.m. and midnight. You know, they right. show a baseball game every night, and then in the winter they show a, a NHL or an NBA game every night. And the programming during the daytime is just sort of there to keep the lights on for the most part. And so I think that's where you might see ESPN go, okay, well, why don't we show... First take. Uh, I don't know. First take. Why don't we show a tape-delayed boxing event that we had on the night before... Uh, why don't we show a 30 for 30 that is relevant to this geography's audience? Um, and so I think it's possible that the daytime stuff uh, ESPN will play around with in various ways. But the nighttime stuff, the actual games themselves, besides, you know, graphics or branding, at least in the near future, those will stay the same, I believe. Yeah, that uh, that makes sense. So so what are the you know, as, as you're just thinking about, uh, you know, uh, let's say the the next year plus as the, the the deal fully gets hashed out, approved and, and closes. Uh, what are the most interesting aspects of it for you? Well, I think the the timing of when it does close is really interesting because ESPN is most of their carriage negotiations are coming up in the next couple of years where they're going to go to the Comcast and Charter and AT&T's and whoever else are, are carrying cable and they're going to have to renegotiate with them. Right. And, you know, all ESPN already or Disney already brings a lot to the table and they go, we want you to carry ESPN and ESPN2 and ABC and ABC Family and depending upon where you are, the SEC Network or ESPN News or ESPNU. Yep. And now they also, depending upon when the deal gets done, they can also say, okay, we also have the regional sports network here. And so uh, depending upon when those assets, when they actually control those assets, it changes the leverage they have in carriage negotiations. And these are very, very, very important carriage negotiations because they happen now. And then in the early 2020s is when the NFL and lots of other sports rights are up. And so how well ESPN does in those carriage negotiations, how much money they make, directly affects how much money they will have to bid on these next generation of sports rights and how well they do in carriage negotiations depends upon the leverage they have. So that kind of is one thing I'm looking out for is is how those RSNs up having them impacts those negotiations. Yeah, I mean it's it's really interesting for you know I'm I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast you you've probably followed this stuff pretty closely but uh uh you know one thing that's not very common knowledge in the uh sort of the, in the general media is I think it is common knowledge that ESPN has the high, highest carriage fee. And, you know, I, I don't know what the latest SNL Kagan number is. I think the last time I looked at it, it was, you know, seven, seven something. Uh, just for 754. 754. And that's just for primary ESPN. That doesn't include Correct. ESPN2, ESPNU, et cetera. Um, and, and, you know, as you, as you look at like uh, on the national level, what the next biggest ones are, it's, you know, it's just stuff like Turner. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty big drop. You know, yeah, down to stuff 50, in the one dollar eighty, range. maybe yeah. for yeah. TNT and stuff like that. Yeah. But the uh, 
but the, uh, you know, because they're local and they're not national, uh, people don't, don't really understand it or it's, it's not, it's not wide, widely understood. Uh, the, uh, a lot of the RSNs, I don't know that they rival 754, but they're way above a dollar 80. Yeah, you might have you might have Yes Network at five or six dollars. I don't know where that one is currently, but yeah, most of them are in the two, three, four dollar range, which, in their local market, puts them as the second most expensive channel behind ESPN. Yep, yep. So it's uh, it's a big deal, and I mean, you know, it's uh, uh, it's just interesting that uh, that ESPN is going to have, uh, you know, so many valuable properties they can sell high carriage against so I'm, I'm just really interested to see what rights they grab and as all that shakes out yeah agreed so uh you have done i mean the i think the story broke on uh, tuesday maybe it was monday about a lawsuit filed against some uh, uh current and former nfl network employees and uh, you have now since done a lot of reporting on it uh, rather than try to uh, try to steal any of your thunder. Well, I'm just going to let you talk about what this what the situation is and uh, how it's evolved over the, the past couple of days. Well, start out by doing a little clarifying in that the suit is against the NFL network and then oh, it's not the NFL. For, for, for wrongful termination and things like that. It's not against the individual people, but inside of it, it names some current and a lot of former employees, a lot of these former NFL players, um, as as having committed acts of sexual harassment and sexual assault. Um, and I think one of the most interesting things to me is that, you know, this there's been a lot of stories like this uh, in the media over the last two months post Harvey Weinstein, and and you always almost always get a statement from the person alleged to have committed acts of sexual harassment or sexual assault. Sometimes right. they say, yes, I did this. I'm removing myself from my company. Sometimes they say they're exaggerated, but I have done bad behavior. We've had some few outright denials, but, but they, make, they, they make some sort of statement. But right. in this case of every single person named, besides Warren Sapp going on Twitter and making some very, uh, I don't know, seemingly poorly judged tweets about vibrators. <laughs> we have none of these people have made a statement publicly. Yeah. And that, and that is really interesting. And there's an information vacuum about, does that mean that they did do what they are alleged to have done and think the best thing is to not say anything? Do they, or do they think, are they going to say they didn't do it and they're preparing a lawsuit? Like I, there's this huge information vacuum there in a way that we normally don't have in these stories, which is going to make it linger on. If the story is there's this lawsuit, accusations of doing this, you come out and you say you did it. I mean, not that the story is over, but we have a pretty full picture of what happened. You said you did these things, uh, but we don't have that here, which I think is going to make this case drag on uh, longer than perhaps other ones. And then you have the secondary factor of now – the NFL is involved. I mean, I, we, we reported the other day that they are heavily considering and likely to bring in uh, like an outside law firm, an outside investigation team, right. um, rather than they kind of have the in-house one with Lisa Friel that they use for NFL players, uh, especially in kind of domestic violence uh, cases. But you now have the NFL, which has gone through – Ratings declines, anthem protests, concussions, Jerry Jones fighting with the rest of the owners over Roger Goodell. Uh, and now all of a sudden, 
their, you know, their, their digital arm is getting roiled by, by these accusations and they've got to do another investigation. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So, um, what's your sense and, and, and based on the fact that nobody is saying anything right now, what's your sense of, you know, how long before we get to any closure on this? Well, I guess part of it depends upon how the NFL responds to this lawsuit. So the, the, you know, the lawsuit was filed in October, but for uh, various complicated reasons that I don't even fully understand dealing with California labor law and what you have to do when you are alleging uh, like unfair termination, uh, an amended complaint had to be filed. And that's the complaint that was filed on, on Monday night or Monday day uh, that, that named these people at the NFL network. Uh, so we're just at the complaint stage. And so lawsuits move slow. And so if, if there's no settlement, at some point we're going to get to discovery and the NFL network's going to be asked for emails and text messages and phone records and, you know, reports from supervisors and all of these things. And so it's possible that in nine months, all of this kind of more physical evidence comes out. It's possible that the NFL network goes, oh, God, we don't want that to come out, and right. they reach some form of settlement agreement. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of ways it could play out, uh, presumably most of them not great for the NFL network. Um, but, yeah, I, this one, because it's a lawsuit, it'll be a little while. Yeah, so um, I know that a lot of people are, are putting forward, and I don't know about a lot of people, some people are putting forward the idea that uh, – you know, in the sports media world, this was bound to happen. And uh, not only that, I mean, you know, with all of the all of the sexual harassment stuff in the news, it was bound to cross over into the sports media. And uh, not only that, uh, this is just the tip of the iceberg and that there's going to be an avalanche. Um, what's your sense of that? Uh, it's kind of twofold. One, I mean, I think if we've learned anything over the last two months, it's that sexual harassment is prevalent everywhere, everywhere in our society. Um, you know, we've had revelations uh, from, you know, people famous, from people less famous of, you know, all sorts of different things in the restaurant industry and in Hollywood and media and sports and music and uh, in, in virtually every industry. And so, yeah, the fact that there hadn't been too many big sports ones, though there was Jamie Horowitz, um, a few months ago, Warren yeah, that was sort Moon. of pre. He was pre Weinstein. Yeah, now, I think he so. was pre Weinstein. Yeah, he was in July. So, but he was after Fox News with Bill O'Reilly uh, and Ailes, Roger yeah. Ailes. Um, and so, so I, I think, I think, it it seems to me that it exists in every single industry. Whether it will be reported, whether stories will come out, it's not exactly clear. But I do. It does seem that it is prevalent in every single industry. Um, and then I think you can also look at conditions that make kind of these uh, hostile work environments more likely. And so, you know, one of the things that I think is important is that the the woman would um, that filed the lawsuit, uh, you know, accusing various NFL Network employees of harassing and assaulting her, she is a wardrobe stylist. Right. Um, and that means that I don't know her exact employment situation at the NFL Network, but typically people like wardrobe stylists, like makeup artists, um, like hairdressers for, for kind of onset talent, they're 
not very highly compensated. They are usually contract employees or some way they're not full employees, meaning, you know, kind of they have less job security. Um, And then you have in sports, especially you have talent who is kind of very highly paid and has some amount of power in their profession. And if you have like this case has a lot of former athletes involved who they spent a lot of their adult life in a less traditional workplace um, where, you know, an NFL locker room doesn't have the same expectations and rules of conduct as my workplace does. Right. And then you're in an an environment where then you kind of have more standard corporate America um, expectations and, and maybe are not used to meeting those. And so I think that what we're hearing out of the NFL network, assuming, you know, a decent amount of it is, is true and did happen as alleged in the lawsuit. I think that is a kind of situation where you're more likely to see egregious sexual harassment than perhaps in other industries or in other type of work environments. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really interesting. Um, I, uh, I am I'm actually somewhat hopeful that there's not going to be the big uh, the big sports media avalanche. But uh, maybe that's just wishful thinking on my part, because I don't want to read those stories every day. Well, it's I mean, it's you know, there's this hope that, okay, there's no stories. And if if there aren't stories and the reason there aren't stories is because it didn't happen. Yes. And that's wonderful. That yeah. that's what you want. If there aren't stories because it is happening, but people are too scared to speak out about it, or people aren't asking the right questions, or people in HR and legal aren't doing their jobs properly, then that's really bad. And so I guess if, if yeah, you have to be able to tell why is the reason that stories either are coming out or are not coming out. Uh, but to that, I would say I, I would bet there's a lot more in, in sports and sports media. All right. So you're telling me to, uh, to, uh, to brace for it. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, we're two months after Weinstein and every single day, you know, it's not slowing down at all. It, I don't know if it's picking up speed, but every single day, you know, I, I, uh, get on a plane and I don't have Wi-Fi or whatever. And I get off three hours later and I check Twitter and I realize I kind of explicitly check Twitter with the expectation that in the three hours that I did not have access some there will be some big explosive news story about right. some famous person who's committed acts of sexual harassment. Uh, and so it seems to not be slowing down at all. So yeah, I would, I would expect more. Yeah. So, uh, no, uh, <laughs> excuse me, no, no smooth transition into the next topic, which is uh, actually going to be TV ratings. I'm just really curious because I've talked to you a lot, but, and uh, you know, I mean, we have, we have traded some ratings data in the past, but I don't know that we've ever actually talked a whole lot about ratings. And um, you know, so now we are, we're finishing up a fall where, um, you know, an overall consumption college football was down a little bit, uh, but it was down a little bit with a lot more hours, not a lot more, but with more hours of programming, uh, than in than in previous years, and then the NFL is down versus last year, and it's down bigly versus uh, 2015. 
But as, right. as I kind of look at the business landscape, right? So the, the, the first thing I hadn't really been worried about the NFL ratings all that much. I mean, they're bad, but I, I didn't really see it significantly hitting the NFL's business. And the, the sort of the first litmus test that, that maybe that idea was right, uh, I think, came out this week when Verizon, uh, you know, and the NFL announced that, uh, that Verizon's new uh, mobile streaming package um, deal that will kick in, I think, starting in January will will not only be, you know, double the license fee that it was previously, but this time around it will be won't be an exclusive. So you'll be able to, right. you know, stream those games whether you're on Verizon or not. So I look at that deal and I go, okay, the NFL got twice as much money and everything, you know, and the flexibility it wanted. Um things are pretty good still for the NFL. Um, you know, is my sense of seeing that deal. And I, I'm wondering you know, uh, how, what do you think about that? And, and, uh, how you think generally about ratings as it relates to, you know, the business reporting in sport of sports media? Well, I think the interesting thing is that ratings for the most part are at least immediately, they are needed and valuable for the actual networks because the networks are selling ads against those ratings they are telling advertisers we are going to have this many people watching our show you need to pay this much money uh you know to to place your ad against it and directly that does not affect the nfl at all they signed you know these huge rights agreements back in uh, 2011 2012 i can't remember when they signed them but in the early 2010s and even if zero people watch football tomorrow, ESPN still has to pay the money yep. for Monday Night Football. NBC still has to pay the money for Monday Night Football. So in the short term, the ratings do not directly impact the business um, of the NFL. Where it does is when these rights negotiations are coming up in the next couple of years, if ratings are falling, presumably the ESPN, CBS, NBCs, and maybe the Amazon, Netflix, Facebooks of the world say, hey, if fewer people are watching this game, we are not going to pay you as much money because we can recoup less money uh, through through ad sales. And so I see the Verizon deal as I think it's not coincidental that the timing of that deal is up at the exact same time that those larger non-mobile, you know, linear broadcast deals are up. Yep. And so I think I think it is is the NFL getting one last big chunk of money that they can uh, in, in, you know, coming close to doubling the amount of money um, that they were getting from Verizon. And there is a small amount of, look, it's 2017. You can't only be on TVs. If you are restricted on mobile, people are going to either not watch or they're going to watch a pirate stream or they're going to do various other things. And so you, to some degree, have to be available on mobile broadly. Um, I guess the final thing is I think it's a little bit dangerous in that the NFL is trying to kind of have it both ways in that mobile is the future, the millennials are on mobile, mobile is going to be really big, we have to have expanded mobile, this is a really important part of our business. And then you go, okay, well, if that's happening, isn't it going to cannibalize TV viewership? Aren't young people going to watch on their phones instead of TVs? Aren't they going to, instead of sitting on their couch, go out for the day knowing that they can check in on the game through their phone? And then the NFL goes, actually, if you look at the mobile ratings we've had on Verizon and streaming ratings, not a lot of people watch, and so we don't actually think that cannibalizes TV viewership. 
Right. And so is it that not a lot of people watch or is that this is a really important future part of the business and they they say it either way, whichever way helps them most <laughs> at the time, but it can't be both. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. I mean, so I, I think that the, uh, you know, in retrospect, the exclusive with Verizon really hurt the NFL, right? Because they have they have trained now for several years people that, you know, who aren't Verizon customers Hey, you can't watch the NFL on your phone. Too bad. Sorry. Laptop or uh, tablet. Suck it up. You can't do it on your phone. And uh, I, I, I wonder if, if, if you know, that's just gone now, right? So the people who already think that, uh, will, will they go, oh, now I can do it. That's great. Or, or, will, or will the league and, and you know, uh, the partners have to actually spend a lot of money on marketing to, uh, to recapture those people who, who just assume they can't do it? Right. And I'm, I guess I'm not sure because it's kind of the age old question of when do you pivot away from a business that is currently making you a lot of money into a business that isn't, but you assume in the future will make you a lot of money. And I mean, this is the eternal sport. This is a question for ESPN. This is the question for everybody. And so I think it's possible that, uh, back in 2013, I think Verizon signed a four year deal with the NFL. I think it's possible that no company was going to give the, the NFL significant money to have those mobile rights because they didn't think they were valuable unless they gave them to Verizon exclusively so that Verizon could tell right. potential subscribers, you, if you, oh, you want to get a Sprint phone? Well, you can't watch the NFL on your phone. You want a T-Mobile phone? Can't do it. If you get a Verizon phone, you can do it. And that's how they got value out of it. So while I do agree with you that the NFL probably would have liked to have been on expanded mobile earlier. I do think it's possible that the path that they have followed is the most profitable. That may be most right, profitable right. short term and long term. That's bad. Uh, right. But it's possible that it was most profitable. Right. Yeah. That's uh, that, that, that's uh, that's an interesting way to look at it. So um, I want to, I want to talk about something that's probably not on anyone's radar anymore, uh, but uh, was very interesting to me. Um, honestly, because it was a topic I didn't really care about at all, but I could see like people were really polarized over it and the polarization like that really sort of captivated me. And it was the situation at, uh, at uh, Tennessee with, uh, with Greg Schiano and, uh, and sort of the, the, the notion that the, uh, the angry mob kept a guy from getting a job. And, uh, and, you know, I saw a lot of that and I, I saw a lot of, uh, a lot of what uh, would appear to me like, eh, you know what, I'm kind of okay with the angry mob this time. And I, I you know, I'm just kind of wondering what, what your thoughts are on that situation, particularly uh, since it does seem to be so polarizing. Right. Well, I think kind of, first of all, I, college football is this very weird thing that, you know, Tennessee is a public institution that presumably academics are their mission and the first thing and, and things like that. And, and that the public has a right to know kind of what is happening with this institution that is supported by their own tax dollars. Uh, and but that's not kind of really how modern athletics departments work. They work like these little kind of for profit corporations inside of universities or, or something like that. Um, and so you know, some amount of Tennessee fans were angry because they believe Shiano is is kind of tied to the Jerry Sandusky, Joe Paterno um, stuff at at Penn State, and you know, there's that's 
somewhat tenuous. He was mentioned in a deposition. There hasn't been a lot of proof other than that. Uh, it's, I don't know, it's kind of hard to tell what exactly went on a decade and a half ago at Penn State. Sure. But he's also hasn't really shown himself ever to be a particularly inspiring coach. He was, you know, decent at Rutgers, which is not a traditional football school. He wasn't particularly good at Tampa Bay. At every single stop, players seem to have not liked him and not enjoyed playing with him. And then furthermore, it seems like the, the Tennessee hierarchy knew that his appointment would be unpopular, so they worked really hard to keep it out of the news until the last minute possible, which I also think angered people. Right. And so I think it's kind of just this confluence of factors that, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're trying to hide this thing at a public institution. They're going through all this work for what is probably a mediocre candidate, and he has some ties loosely or strongly, depending upon your opinion, to, you know, covering up child molestation. But the, I don't know, the thing that kind of really rankled me about all of it is you had a lot of, uh, you know, college football writers come to Shiano's defense and talk about how brilliant minds like Bill Belichick have, have said he's smart and how dare you question him. But it's like the record is there. He's not a great coach. It's a public institution, which people should have say in how things are going in this right. huge college football business. So I have a really hard time thinking, oh, how dare the fans express their I displeasure see. with a coaching hire. Yeah, I see. Okay, so that that uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, th- thank you for that. So I'm going to I'm going to get you out of here uh, back, taking you back to Fox, Fox and Disney. So on. Uh, January 1st, 2020, uh, is our Fox broadcast FS1 and FS2 still called Fox broadcast FS1 and FS2? Are they owned by and maybe called something else? I don't think they will be owned by anybody else because the only natural bidder for that is ESPN, which I don't think they're going to be able to get. So they're I, they're still with you don't Fox. think uh, you don't think like Turner and Sony could uh, could could bid on the uh, the the remainder that's uh, Fox. I don't think so, especially because Fox their their big rights are. I think right now the rights you want to be in are are NBA and soccer rights. NBA rights this year are defying the footballs, and I don't know what the releases are about how far they're up, but they're up yep. huge. And yep. maybe, you know, we haven't had, we're, what, a third of the way through the season or something. Maybe that's going to dip or whatever. But Yeah, they're up double. They're up, up certainly even if they pulled way back this week, they're still up double digits over last year. Right, right. Those are big, and and soccer ratings they stagnated stagnated the premier league ratings a little bit last year but they are still the growing sports they're the sports that have younger audiences they're the sports that have uh less white audiences as the kind of country becomes more and more diverse and so insofar as anything in sports and sports media is declining it's the value of things like the nfl rights and so Fox just lost Champions League over to Turner. Uh, they might through. They might have a little bit of Spanish soccer. Uh, they don't have anything to do with the NBA. They're only in college basketball. I think they have Big Ten. Uh, don't don't quote me on that. I might be a little bit wrong. But they don't uh, no, have big, uh, college basketball. Fox kept the Big Ten in this deal. That's not going to uh, right. Right. But so I don't think that even in so far as there's kind of growth opportunities, I don't think the rights that they have 
are in those. Uh, and so I think they probably stay largely the same without the RSNs and given the middling success of the you know transformation Fox Sports and wanted to challenge ESPN, I think they kind of fall back to more where something like the NBC Sports Network is, where that's a very nice business for NBC, but they're not greedy with it. During the daytime, they have relatively cheap programming. They're not in the business of spending $6 million a year on a salary for Skip Bayless. Yeah, they uh, they, they air Dan Patrick show simulcast instead. Right, they have a simulcast, which doesn't cost a lot. They have some fishing shows during the day sometimes. And, you know, Fox has these longer contracts. They You can't right. just jettison people like that. But I do think that they without the RSNs and given Fox totally scaling back on television in general, that their ambitions fall a little bit and they let ESPN go off and be ESPN and they go, Hey, we're a nice little business. There's nothing wrong with being a nice profitable business and not trying to gobble up billions of billions of dollars, but you know, taking our nice profit and giving it to our shareholders and that being the end of the day. That, uh, that, uh, that does make some sense. Kevin, thanks for uh, joining the podcast again. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun as always. Thanks again to Kevin Draper for joining the podcast. You can find all the past podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and SportsTVRatings.com. And uh, based on feedback, uh, I did recently go through submitting uh, my podcast for inclusion in Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. I have been approved by Stitcher and TuneIn, although I just received the TuneIn mail email, and they say it might take 24 hours. I'm pretty excited by that one because now I can ask Alexa to play my podcast and, uh, and get the same kind of rejection that Richard Deitch gets for his podcast. And uh, I still haven't heard from Spotify, but uh, I'll let you know as soon as I do. Thanks for listening.